Our reading from the book of Isaiah is from chapter 35, verses 1 to 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, Lord, what a gift to be in the church this morning, to be with the church, to be the church. We're thankful, Lord, for holy places. We're thankful, God, for the beauty of your word, for Jesus, all the goodness that is in you, and all the reason, Lord, we have this morning to have hope. Thank you, Lord, for the reminders of hope. And I ask you now, Holy Spirit, that for those of us who come here feeling, Lord, hopeless or like it's, it's hard to have it or hold on to it, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lift up our eyes and help us see Jesus. That you would, Lord, take the words of the prophet and I pray, God, that you would send them directly into our own lives and our own hearts this morning. Help us hear you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so good to be with you all on this uh, third week of Advent. Happy Advent. Y'all, we've almost made it um, through the Christmas season anyway. Uh, in the church, of course, we mark time a little bit differently than the world around us. Um, but if you are beginning to feel um, somewhat harried and hurried by the season, you know, because like counting down the days until all the Christmas parties really kick into full swing and all the Christmas shopping has to be done and, <laughs> you know. And then the church invites you into a place um, where time is kept differently, where we're oriented differently. And God is going to gather us together and lay a heavy hand of peace and remind you that time works differently for you if you'll let it, 
You don't have to be harried and hurried. You have the authority of the Holy Spirit in you to put a hand out at the world and say, no. I'm going fast enough. Thank you. I've spent enough. I have enough. Thank you. We mark time in the church um, through candles, which is a kind of funny clock, actually. Some of you have been doing that in your homes through the Advent wreath. You've got your own um, Advent clocks. This week is, uh, of course, week three. It's the week of the pink candle, my niece's favorite, which is why she helped me light it this morning. Uh, why pink is a good question. Um, why purple, for that matter, is a maybe first question. Um, purple, of course, in the church anyway, is supposed to be a call to um, being more penitential, to repentance, to remembering that the world is not as it should be and we're not always as we should be, that sin, in fact, is a real thing. Sin is. And brokenness, therefore, is. Sin is real out there. It's real in me. It's real in the children that we raise. It's real in the laws that we write. It's real. And so the color purple reminds us of that reality, some of the harshness of it. Advent is therefore a kind of strange season because while everyone else is, you know, being festive and merrymaking, we're called to like reflect on the darkness that was before Christ came. The reality of darkness in the absence of Jesus. When he's not around, if he hasn't come, then things are going to feel heavy and be dark. And that's just the way that it is. And so we're reminded of that. We're called to think about it and reflect on it. And then all of a sudden, you get to week three and there's a pop. Things change. The color literally brightens. So if you take purple and you turn it up a little bit, it becomes pink. It brightens. And that is a kind of call, a reminder that even though we are not to Christmas yet, Christ is surely coming. So you're meant to like reach into the future and take the hope that Jesus brings and pull it into the present. It's instructive. It's a reminder to the church to be hopeful even when the thing that you hope for, that you long for, the desire of nations, as we say, is not yet in hand. But it's sure, and it's coming. And so there's a, a call, an instruction to the people of God to rejoice. In the Catholic Church, this Sunday is known as Gaudete Sunday. In Latin, that word means rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Be a hopeful and a joyful people. And in that way... This text from Isaiah, chapter 35, I think is brilliantly timed. Probably not an accident. We've been preaching throughout the book of Isaiah for the last um, several weeks. Uh, this week, however, it felt just like particularly timely, I think. Um, it is a kind of um, pink candle in the book of Isaiah, if you will. It's a pink candle in the form of prophecy, because if you're familiar with the book of Isaiah, or if you've been reading along, maybe you'll notice um, Isaiah is a really one long book, so kudos to you if you've read the whole thing or you're making your way through it. Um, it's a long journey. And that's because it spans a lot of time. The prophet Isaiah was prophesying, and this book at least captures um, a long period before the exile, during the exile, and then after the exile. All of those periods of time are reflected in Isaiah's prophecy. This first part, like the first 40 chapters, are given to the time before the exile. 
which means it's a kind of complicated time in Israel's history because what was Isaiah's job before the exile? As a prophet, his job was to tell them the exile was coming, which means that there was quite a lot of anxiety and judgment, which is interesting because when we think about Isaiah, he's the Christmas prophet, you know? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, yeah? Like three or four verses that we know from Isaiah, and they all have to do with Jesus (laughs) and the coming of a better future and a hope for tomorrow. That is unfortunately having skipped over a whole lot of other stuff, namely the coming of the exile and the fall of Israel as a nation. But what's interesting to me about Isaiah, one of the many things, is the way that time works. Um, Bear with me while I wax philosophical on you for a second. But time, of course, is the kind of construct, as they say. You know? You ever thought about that? Time is something that we need, we have to some degree made up so that we can function in the world. That's a good thing, by the way. We need constructs. They help us live, navigate reality. But time operates for God very differently, of course. He doesn't keep time or mark time in exactly the same way. And so sometimes in the prophets, time is wild. It's kind of all over the place. It's not linear chronologically. Things don't happen that way. So it'd be really nice If, you know, we talked about the exile coming, and then we talked about what it was like to be in the exile, and then we talked about what it was like after the exile, and if you could just read it that way, that would make sense. We could keep up, but that's not the way it works. All of a sudden, this is the image that came to mind for me anyway, rather than a circle or a line, time in the book of Isaiah is a lot like line drills. Did you guys ever do line drills? Any of you play basketball? I was a basketball player. Line drills are the worst. The way a line drill works is you start at the baseline, you have to run to the free throw line, and then back to the baseline. And then from the baseline to the half court line, and then back to the baseline. And then from the baseline to the other free throw line, and then back, you get the idea? Exhausting work. You're doing faster and faster and faster. It's kind of how time works in the book of Isaiah. Because we're building towards this like exile that's coming. We've got anxiety and judgment, and God's like clearly warning us. And then here comes chapter 35. And all of a sudden, it's like we've fast-forwarded way into the future. And we're getting this word of hope about restoration and redemption that's clearly not matching the moment that we're in. (laughs) That is, we're not in a like redemption, restorative, look at all the good things God has done moment in the first part of Isaiah until moments like chapter 35 goes all the way into the future, and then chapter 36, it's going to come, like, all the way back. So the question is, why? Why have it operate that way? It's, I don't think, like a terrible, you know, editorial hack job. I suppose you could say it's that, or that it's just some unfortunate copy-and-paste situation that went awry. You know, suddenly Isaiah forgot which part of the story he was in, you know, and he just, oh, wait a second, ah, it's supposed to be at the end. Ah. I just like, that's not what's happening. It's clearly by design. So why? Why fast forward to the end and then pull it all the way into the present? Why light a pink candle before it's Christmas? I think it's meant to say something to us about the nature of hope, what it's meant to do. This pink candle, just like the prophet Isaiah, has come to you this morning, I believe, to teach you how to be hopeful 
and why it matters so much that we are, not just for the people around us, but for ourselves. So if we jump back into the text, pay attention to what he's actually saying happens. Here's what he says. Chapter 35 describes the transformation of a desert, which is kind of good and bad news, actually, when you think about it. The reason it's good and bad news is because the bad news is that you're going to find yourself in the desert. The good news is that you're going to see it transformed. The desert shall rejoice and blossom, he writes. He then goes on to describe another really powerful image, a highway being constructed, a highway for God's people called the Holy Way. Please, please tell me if you ever come across an interstate or a highway that has been named the Holy Way. I'm actually shocked in Northwest Arkansas that we don't have one of those. I keep looking for it everywhere I go, and surely it exists. If we haven't done it yet, someone will at some point. This is different than that. The Holy Way. Good news and bad news. Bad news is you're going to be in exile. You're not going to be at home. You're going to find yourself in a strange and foreign place. The good news is God's going to make a way out. You'll go home. You won't be there forever, in other words. I think that in this way, reading the prophet Isaiah and keeping the Advent wreath is a kind of liturgy Liturgies are meant to form us. It's not just something that we do with our brains. It's like meant to shape the way we think and that we feel about things, the way we go through them and experience them. A call to occasionally, whether you feel like it or not, want to or not, look up and rejoice. It's the Lord's way of saying, I think, this thing that's in front of you that you're going through right now, it's hard. You're not wrong. It is hard. It's just not more true than the good that's in front of you. It's not more real than the good God has been and the good God will do. And it feels that way, doesn't it, sometimes? The hard thing that we're going through when we're in it and it's really hard, it feels more real than everything else somehow. It's like more real than the good thing that was behind me, and it's more sure than the good thing that's in front of me. And this is the prophet's way, and I think the Holy Spirit's way, of saying to us, that's not true. There's something more true than your own feeling or experience of this moment. And we are feeling things, some of us more so than others. But even our thinking betrays us when we're going through hard things. Because have you ever noticed Anxiety positions you, and this isn't a bad thing. You're a human being. At one point, we had predators. We needed to know how to spot them and how to outrun them and outsmart them. So for all of our warnings against anxiety, actually, thanks be to God, you know, it alerts me to when things are wrong. Have you ever been around somebody that was miserably high when something bad was happening? No, that's just my friends. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let me just tell you, the downside of being with someone who's very high when something bad is happening is that you have to be their anxiety. Their amygdala is not working. It's encumbered. And so you have to be the one that says, hey, dum-dum, you should leave now. 
this is bad. Anxiety, however, it's like it goes into overdrive. We're on high alert all the time. Everything's a threat. And even the threat that isn't here, it's coming. It's just not here yet. And so we're constantly positioned on the defense and the offense. So our brain says the threat is what's real. The peace is fleeting. It's temporary. The threat is real. The pain is what's real. The goodness and the thing that you hope for, a fantasy. And here, God, your creator, the one who made you, and all of this is going to say out over all of that anxiety, it isn't so. It isn't so. The good is what's real. The hope is what's real. Is your pain real? Yes. It's just not ultimate. It doesn't have the final word. It can't. It won't. I am coming. Your home is with me. It's sure and it's safe. Will there be a desert? Yes. Will there be exile? Yes. Sin is real. The purple is real. It's not more real. It's not even most real. And this is true in your relationships, too, I would submit to you. We're all about to go home for the holidays. And sometimes in relationships, the temptation, just like in life, is to focus on the hard thing and the bad thing and say, that's who you really are. That was, those were your true colors, we say. Is it? Is that true of you? Am I really, my worst things I've ever said or the worst things I've ever done, is that ultimately what's truest about me? If it weren't for Jesus, I think I would be tempted to believe that that's the case. Honest to God, I do. The thing I cannot get over about him is that he didn't operate that way. He hasn't operated that way with me. You can't possibly know what a completely foolish thing it is that I should be standing in a position like this. I know. He turns prodigals into priests. He turns the desert into an oasis because he is lavish in his mercy and his grace, a fool, if you will, with his love. And blessed are those who take no offense at me, Jesus said. Are you offended by my grace and my goodness? What a pity. Be better to be hopeful, to be people who can spot the good even in the hard times. And please hear me, there is nothing more irritating than a Pollyanna saddling up next to you Reassuring you that it's not as bad as it seems to be or telling you to look on the bright side when you're hurting. I hope to God that we, you, we know one another well enough to know I'm probably never going to be that person in your life. And that's because I don't believe that's who Jesus ever was. Nothing Pollyannish about the prophet Isaiah. I didn't know him that well, but I spent a lot of time with him. Being optimistic and hopeful are not the same. Conversely, however, I do know what it's like to be just like really down 
and have someone who like inexplicably comes alongside you and has hope that you can't have in a moment, who can pray over you and remind you of the goodness of God and lift up your head sometimes literally and look you in the eyes and say, he is coming, you know. This isn't forever. It's bad today. You're not by yourself. I'm here, and so is he. And this is not forever. That's hope. That's the pink candle. Truth be told, I don't like pink. I prefer earth tones. And it's the color that we assign socially to women and bubblegum and Barbie. All things the world doesn't take seriously. And it occurred to me this morning how interesting it is that in the church, hope would be pink. Maybe some subtle or not so subtle act of subversion, redemption, even. And then I was thinking, you know, how do you make pink? If you were to ask my niece, who loves pink, if you were to ask her, how do you make pink, Jones? I don't know that she would know, but she would know who to ask. Her dad's an artist. And when you want to make pink, you have to mix red and white. Red in the church is the color of our humanity blood. We only have one red Sunday, and that's Pentecost. It's the Sunday when we're reminded that even us, the Holy Spirit could come, and through these hands, through my human hands, the kingdom of God could come. These hands could bless you, that I could hear God and speak God's words over you, that even I, as a human thing, I could be like Jesus. It reminds me that people have died for this faith, human people, for whom God just, they died. They didn't escape it. They died. And their blood ran in the streets. Human blood. White in the church is God's color. It's the color of divinity, purity. When you get all the human out of it, you know, it becomes white. So what if you mix humanity and divinity together and what do you get? Hope. Take what you feel. The prophet is saying, be in it. Advent is not for the faint of heart. It is not the holiday or the season of Pollyanna. Advent is going to call us week after week to acknowledge the hurt you feel, the pain that is, the brokenness that is. But if without this week, without hope, then we are a funeral dirge. We have nothing to offer. This week comes to us and says, no, people of God, return to Jesus. Lift up your eyes. 
not just for the sake of the people around you, so you can go through the desert the way that you want to. You can pass through exile the way that you want to. And then he'll get you out. Hope is a strong thing. Maybe all the pink things are. Holy Spirit, over the heaviness, God, that we feel and that we carry, the weariness in our bodies, the sickness in our families, the anger that we feel over our hurt. All of it, Jesus, this morning, we hold in front of you, and we choose, Lord, not to look only at it, but to lift up our eyes and look at you, Jesus. Will you hold us there, Lord? Will you fix our eyes on you? If only for this week or for a few days or only a few few moments, Jesus, speak grace and peace and hope over your church this morning, Lord. We love you. In your name, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.